My name's Jen, and I'm one of the members here at King's. And I have the privilege of continuing our series that we've been doing for a few weeks now on loving like Jesus. And this evening, we're talking about loving those in need. And there is so much need around us. We see it everywhere. It's on the news. It's in our streets. There's a tsunami in Indonesia, another shooting in America, bombings in Afghanistan. And then there's the need closer to home. An article in the Times this week highlighted that poverty and deprivation is on the rise among children and families in the UK. They told the story of a minicab driver who is surviving just on two instant mash packets a day, and he's going around using hot water from public toilets to make them. That's happening in our nation. There is so much need. How do we even begin to help? We tend either to try and solve all the world's problems on our own and quickly get burnt out, or we simply become overwhelmed and end up not doing anything at all. And no matter which option we take, we always tend to end up feeling guilty anyway. But there is a better way. God wants us to love those in need with joy and with passion and without any guilt at all. And he has given us the key to doing this. So we're starting in Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 to 13. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? They asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This may seem like a strange passage to focus on when we're talking about loving those in need, because at first glance, it seems like the disciples make a very sensible point. They're the ones who seem to be thinking about loving those in need. The same story is also told in the book of Mark, where we learn that the very expensive perfume mentioned here cost about one year's wages. One year. That is some expensive perfume. It's easy to sympathize with the disciples here and question whether dumping all of this money on someone's head is actually a good idea. But the disciples are wrong, and Jesus commends this woman's extravagant 
act of worship? Is this because Jesus doesn't prioritize loving those in need? Not at all. If we look at the context of the passage, Jesus has chosen to have dinner at Simon the leper's house. Simon would have been an outcast in his society because of his leprosy, which was a skin disease. In those days, people with leprosy were isolated from others according to Jewish law. They weren't allowed to go into the temple to worship either. And this would have had a huge impact on Simon, financially, socially, and spiritually. But Jesus chose him to eat with. Simon was forbidden from entering God's presence in the temple. So God took the trouble of coming to earth so he could sit with him in his home. Jesus loves those in need. But in this passage, we learn that our love for Jesus must always come first. Where we look at the world and the need that's in it, and we think, we must do all of these things, God quiets our hearts and says, no, my child, you must do just this one thing. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 38, Jesus reminds us, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. That's why Jesus commends this woman. She got it. And Jesus says to us, be like her. So what does that look like? What does it look like to be like this woman and to worship Jesus with such extravagance? And what does that have to do with helping those in need? We see the answer in Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 to 40. In this parable, Jesus is talking about the end of time when he will say to his followers, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty, and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So how do we love God extravagantly? We love those in need. If Jesus had a love language, this is it. In these verses, Jesus tells us that the love and kindness that we show to those in need, he receives as love and kindness shown to him. Because loving those in need is at the very heart of who God is. 
Throughout the Bible, we read about God's love for the poor, the oppressed, foreigners, widows, and orphans. It's written into the laws given by God in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. At the beginning of 1 Samuel, the book that introduces us to Saul and David, it's in Hannah's song as she sings, he raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. It's in the poetry and wisdom of the Psalms and Proverbs It's in the rebukes from the prophets. Again and again, the prophets implore the Israelites to repent because they have neglected the neediest among them. And we see God's enormous love and compassion for those in need most clearly in Jesus. Through his actions, the way he spent his time, and in his teaching, Jesus goes out of his way to find and show mercy to those in need. Preparing a talk on this is kind of overwhelming just because there is so much scripture to deal with. What do I choose? Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. When we love those in need, When we're generous with our time, our money, our resources, God receives it as though we're being generous to him. In John 21, Jesus has risen from the dead and he's standing with Simon Peter, his disciple. And Jesus asks him, Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you, he says. And Jesus responds, feed my sheep. He asks him this three times, and three times Jesus urges Peter, feed my sheep. Continue my work, he says to Peter. If you love me, continue to seek out those in need so that they'll know I love them. Today, Jesus is asking you, do you love me? Do you love me? If your answer is yes, then he wants to remind you, feed my sheep. For some of you, loving those in need might come naturally to you. Maybe it's something you feel strongly about, but it's become an obligation, a burden that you carry around with you. Something you strive to do, but the work is never finished. You can never do enough, so you just feel like a failure. God wants you to know that there is a better way. When we focus on loving Jesus, our love for those in need falls into place. He changes us from the inside so that loving those in need is no longer an obligation. It's not this tired responsibility. It's a joy and a passion And he brings us into a community, the church, so that our small efforts add up to something amazing. And we have the peace of knowing it isn't all down to us. This is God's work. He is determined to love those in need, to reach out to them. He simply invites us to take part. For others... 
maybe you understand the importance of loving Jesus, but you've neglected helping those in need. Maybe it's because life is busy and you've got enough to worry about. Or maybe you feel like it isn't really your thing. It's not your ministry area. But when you love someone, you care about the things they care about. When I first moved to Edinburgh from the States, a little over six years ago now, I had no idea what rugby was. But then, (laughs) I started dating Chris, my now husband, and he loves watching rugby. He loves sport in general, but he particularly loves watching rugby. For him, it isn't just entertainment, but it's something that he grew up doing with his family. It was a way that they bonded together. And it's also one of his favorite ways to relax. So it wasn't long after I started dating Chris that he wanted to sit and watch rugby with me. So I did. A lot. (laughs) Not because I naturally cared about it and really wanted to, but because I cared about Chris. I care about the things he cares about. So I watched and asked questions and tried to follow along and remember all the positions and the players' names. And a funny thing happened. Now, I genuinely enjoy watching rugby too. And really enjoyed it yesterday. (laughs) You may not naturally enjoy giving, loving, serving those in need. It's fine to admit that. I haven't always. But when you decide in faith to love those in need because you love Jesus, it won't be long before he changes your heart and you start to genuinely love it too. We love Jesus first, and that propels us to love those in need, which Jesus receives as love and worship from us. For the rest of our time together, we're going to look at some practical ways you can love those in need. In Isaiah 58, verse 10, it says, Spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. Then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like noonday. Spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry. So we're going to look at three different things that you can spend on behalf of those in need as a way to love them. And the first, spend your time. Put yourself in the way of those in need. Out of sight, out of mind is so true, and it is too easy to live in a middle-class bubble. Make a decision to spend time with those in need. There are a lot of ways to do this, One way that Chris and I often like to do this is by volunteering at Bethany Christian Trust's winter care shelter. You get to cook for Edinburgh's rough sleepers and then sit and share a meal with them. And I always encounter God so powerfully when we do that. Every year that we've served, um, usually just before we go out, the prospect of a late night feels like kind of a pain, I'm going to be honest. 
Then after it's over, we'll get home at 11.30 or 12, and we'll stay up for another hour just buzzing, talking about who we met and how much God loves them and how much we now love them as a result. Then we'll usually spend some time praying for them before we eventually go to sleep. And in that short time, just a few hours, God gives us his heart for his children. Our church has signed up to cook for the care shelter on four dates in the new year, which is very exciting. And we still need more volunteers. So if you're over 21, definitely consider doing this. I highly recommend it. You won't regret it. You can sign up together with your small group or just as an individual. Um, Viv, who goes to our church, is organizing this. But if you don't know who that is, just speak to someone in one of the fetching jackets that you see around, red or black, and they can get your details. Or speak to me afterwards. I'd be happy to pass your details on to her. Typically, though, for me, uh, putting myself in the way of those in need means stopping to have a chat with the rough sleepers um, of Edinburgh or the people who are begging on the streets. I try to walk home from work most days, so I just naturally pass people begging on the streets um, on my way home from work, so it's just part of my daily commute. One day, on my way home, I saw this man who was anxiously pacing on the steps of a church. He was trying to get shelter under an awning because the weather wasn't great. He was muttering to himself and shouting occasionally. He was just a picture of anxiety. And on this particular day, I was in a hurry to get home. It had been a long day at work and I was just looking forward to relaxing. The walk takes over an hour, so I'm usually just trying to get it over with. Then I saw this man and felt a nudge from the Holy Spirit to go and chat to him. But I kind of thought he looked a little unstable and unsafe, and I was really tired. So I kind of talked myself out of it. I walked past. But I said a little prayer to make myself feel better. Then when I was a few yards beyond him, God said to me, you have my peace to offer him. Will you walk by? So I sheepishly turned around and started to walk over and I offered to pray with him. And he was such a lovely, interesting guy. He loves music. Even the way he spoke was, was quite rhythmic. It was like he was singing as he talked to me. And he told me that he talks out loud to himself because he finds it difficult not having anyone to talk to. And he kept saying, but it makes people uncomfortable. So do you think I should stop? It just broke my heart. After chatting for a few minutes, I offered to pray again. And he asked me a few questions to clarify what that would look like, which is understandable. And I prayed something really short and simple that he would know God's peace and be filled with God's love. And afterward, he just said, you've done a good thing for me. I feel much more relaxed now. The whole exchange probably took an extra five or 10 minutes out of my day, but it made his. And it was so worth it. 
Spend your time with those in need and see how God blesses it. Next, spend your money. Materialism is an enormous problem for us in the Western world. Church, this is a dangerous snare that the enemy wants to trap you in. It will pull you away from God, distract you from his plans and purposes for you, and it will leave you perpetually dissatisfied, always wanting more, never having enough. In Matthew 6, 24, it says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money gives us the illusion of independence instead of total reliance on God. When you make the decision to generously give away your money, you are resisting the devil and you are fighting against the idol of materialism in our culture. The woman in the story we read poured out a full year's earnings on Jesus. And yes, that may seem reckless and irresponsible, but not if you believe God's promise to provide for your every need. If God is your provider, then money given generously to him can never be a mistake. When I was in high school, my English teacher told me a little bit about her story. She was a Christian, but she had kind of wandered from God, and she had married this guy quite young. And soon after getting married, she found out she was pregnant. And around the time the baby was born, her husband left her. She had no job and no money and no one to help. And she felt ashamed of her situation, so she didn't really open up about it to anyone. But she continued to pray and to go to church. She held on to her faith and continued to rely on God. One day, she received in her mailbox $100. It was on March. She had no idea where it came from. And she was so relieved because she wasn't sure how she was going to buy food that week. But she felt God prompt her to tithe it, to give away 10% to the church. And if all you have in the world is $100, then giving away $10 feels like a lot. But on Sunday, at the end of the service, or during the service, <laughs> she put her $10 in the offering. And at the end, a woman came up to her and said, I'm so sorry if this sounds strange, but I really feel like God wants me to give this to you. And she handed her $10. If God is your provider, then money given generously to him can never be a mistake. When we're prompted to give to individuals in need, God does not give us the authority to judge who deserves mercy and who doesn't. He just calls us to be generous. In Luke 6, verse 30, Jesus says, Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. I think the tendency to judge is a particular issue when it comes to giving away our money. 
It's just too easy to reason away why someone else doesn't deserve our hard-earned cash. They may just spend it on drugs, or they might gamble it away, they might not really be homeless. Thankfully, we don't get to decide who is deserving and who isn't. God handles that. He simply asks us to give. So if you're feeling that nudge from God, just give. It's not your money anyway. It's his. Being generous with your money will sometimes mean spontaneous gifts that push you beyond what you think you can afford. But it's important to also plan for generosity into your monthly expenditure. There are some great causes you can give to that will help those in need. Um, Just to say, though, we're not talking about replacing your tithe, which is what we call money we give to the church. The Bible makes it clear that our first priority is giving to the house of God. We're called both to give to our church and to remember justice, mercy, and faithfulness which is what we're focusing on today. If you need some ideas of causes to give to, here are just a few. Compassion International is a great one. I know a number of people in our church actually sponsor a child through Compassion. Chris and I sponsor a little girl from Guatemala, and our monthly donation gives her food, education, clothing, school supplies, and the chance to learn about Jesus. Plus, you get letters from her and pictures and drawings, and it's just great. Caring Christmas tree. We also love buying our caring Christmas tree every year because we love Christmas. And um, the proceeds from a caring Christmas tree go to support the homelessness outreach work of Bethany Christian Trust across Scotland. So if you're planning on purchasing a Christmas tree anyway, why not make your purchase really count? They're also really excellent trees. Um, Kings has bought a caring Christmas tree for our Christmas tree this year, so you'll get to see for yourself, and you'll be envious if you don't buy one now. (laughs) But think about other purchases that you regularly make that you might be able to use to bless those in need. Maybe the clothes that you buy, your coffee, gifts that you purchase for other people, Look for ways to weave generosity into the fabric of your life. It's also the basics bank. Every month as a church, we collect items for a local food bank. And I can't imagine what it would be like not to be able to afford food. But sadly, that's the situation a lot of our neighbors are in. And why not make it a family tradition to bring something along every month? And we've already heard about the amazing Safe Families for Children hampers, the opportunity to give some really needed Christmas cheer to families in need this Christmas in our city. What a great opportunity to respond to Jesus' call to love those in need around us. These are just a few examples. There are so many great causes to give to. I'll include a list of some other charities and causes that you can give to in the small group notes. So you'll have a good place to start from. Seek ways to spend money on those in need. And last, but certainly not least, spend your resources. What has God given you 
that you can use to bless those in need. Maybe you own a business and you can offer services free of charge to someone who needs them but really can't afford to pay. If you can read or write, maybe you could help some of those in need in this city who can't. When I worked for Safe Families for Children, I remember a single dad who was referred to us. He had two young boys to take care of, but he couldn't read or write, which caused all sorts of trouble in our society, as you can imagine. He couldn't fill out benefit forms to get money he was entitled to. If he got bills or warnings in the post or letters about hospital appointments, he couldn't read them. But with the right help, this wasn't an insurmountable problem. Safe Families actually matched him with a volunteer who met up with him every week just to go through his post and help him with things like that. What has God given you that you can use to bless those in need? There's one thing that God has given all of us in his church if we're his followers. And we'll read about that in Acts chapter 3. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. You have been given the Holy Spirit, and the gifts that he bestows are some of the most valuable, precious gifts we could give to those in need. I love this passage. Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. What a beautiful gift. How many times have you walked past someone in the street begging for change? and said, sorry, mate, I don't have any on me. I know I've done that several times. But how many times have you followed that up with, but what I do have, I give you, and then bless them with a gift direct from God himself? There's a woman with an amputated leg who often begs for money on Princess Street. And this was a few years ago, but one day I decided I'd pray for her and pray for her leg to grow back. So I stopped and sat with her on the pavement and asked her name and found out she didn't know very much English. So we didn't have a very long conversation until I started praying for her. I prayed in Jesus' name that her leg would grow back, that she would be able to walk again. And did her leg then grow back in front of my very eyes no, but it could have. 
knowing the many stories of people that Jesus healed when he was on this earth and knowing the thousands of people that his disciples healed after he ascended and went to heaven and knowing that the same spirit that was in them was also in me. It just felt selfish not to try. Her leg didn't grow back. You can still see her on Princess Street sometimes, but she was so grateful, so grateful. And I didn't give her any money. I just sat with her for maybe five or 10 minutes and prayed with her. I remember the second year I served at the care shelter, I was feeling really nervous about what to say when chatting to guests because the typical questions that get me through really painful, awkward small talk don't really apply. Where in Edinburgh do you live? Nope, can't ask that. Where do you work? Most of the guests are unemployed, so I can't ask that. And I'm socially awkward anyway, so this was truly a recipe for disaster. So at the care shelter, Chris and I are having a conversation with a man who we'd actually met the year before. And when it came to topics of conversation, I had nothing. Chris was doing very well, chatting away. He's much better at small talk than me. I think he was talking about different areas of Scotland. And there would be frequent lulls in the conversation when we'd all just kind of look at each other and smile. And I was just thinking, God help, <laughs> what can we talk about? And then God gave me a picture of a toy car. So I was then faced with how do I bring up this random picture in conversation? Chris was continuing to do a good job. I was sitting in silence, panicking, thinking about toy cars. So eventually, even though it had nothing to do with what we were talking about, I just blurted out, know anything about cars? And he said, yeah, I know a lot about cars, actually. It turned out that he used to be a mechanical engineer at a car manufacturer. He was quite high up in the company until he had a mental breakdown around the time that his mom died. And he hadn't been able to work since. It's amazing that God knew him so well and loved him enough that he wanted him to connect with us. It's so wonderful to feel known, to feel truly known by someone, and even more wonderful to feel known by God. So be open to God giving you prophecies or words of knowledge or the nudge to pray for healing for someone in need. Better yet, ask God for it, seek it, pray for it, because there is no greater way to love those in need around us. Jesus is speaking to us this evening. Do you love me? He asks. Then feed my sheep. What has God been highlighting to you? What has the Holy Spirit been prompting you to do? Maybe it's spending your time. Maybe you've realized that in your daily life, you don't really come into contact with many people who are in need. And God wants you to make time for that. Is it spend your money? 
Maybe God's been prompting you to give to someone in need or give to a certain cause or charity. And he's saying, don't put it off anymore. Or is it your resources? God has blessed us with so much. He's given us so much and he's given us his spirit. Maybe you're here right now and actually you're in a desperate situation yourself. Maybe you're finding it impossible to get out of bed in the morning. Or maybe you don't even have a bed to call your own. I want you to know that you are loved by the God who created you and by us. Maybe the world looks down on you or you feel like the world doesn't see you at all. But we see you. We believe that you are valuable. Maybe you feel lonely and you feel like you have no one. But at this church, because of Jesus, though we're all different and we come from different places, we are a family. And we would love to invite you to be part of it, just as you are. This is your time to respond to this living and active God.